0: This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.
1: This year marks the 20th anniversary of the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks on the United States. The attacks and the US response to them have had profound consequences for American domestic and foreign policy, as well as for international relations and global security. JMU Civic and JMU X Labs have partnered to gather and share stories of James Madison University alumni who have served and continue to serve in the military. If you have a story to contribute for our 9-11-at-20 series, please email civic at jmu.edu. Welcome to Democracy Matters, the podcast of the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University. I'm your co-host, Kara Ong-Whaley. And I'm Logan Ziegler, Administrative Assistant for JMU Civic. I'm Jacqueline Doburn, Communication Specialist here at JMU Civic.
2: This is Abe Goldberg, Director of JMU Civic and faculty member in the Department of Political Science.
1: In this episode, we have a conversation with Mr. Terry Kessler, who attended James Madison University and received his bachelor's degree in social work. He commissioned through the ROTC as a medical service officer in 2003. He was also a member of the Virginia Army National Guard from 1997 to 2003. Terry completed two tours to Iraq in support of Operation Iraqi Freedom in 2005 and 2007 to 2008. He went on to receive his Masters of Social Work degree from Fayetteville State University and currently works with the Department of Veteran Affairs in Martinsburg, West Virginia, with veterans as a licensed certified social worker. We hope you enjoy the conversation and invite you to engage with us on social media at JMU Civic on Twitter and Facebook and at JMU Duke's Vote on Instagram. So Terry, thank you so much for joining us on Democracy Matters. I wonder if you can start by sharing why you joined the military And the second question actually comes from Nick Swain, um, who asked if you realized what you were getting into when you joined the ROTC at JMU.
0: So I first got in, I joined the National Guard in 1997 after graduating high school. Um, My high school wrestling coach's best friend was in the National Guard as an officer. And I believe that he was trying to help me find purpose in my life. Uh, had a tree uh, almost kill me in a freak accident in 1995. And um, he was like a a dad to me. And so I think he was just trying to help me find purpose. And also, you know, growing up as a a little boy, I liked the Army. and I had a granddad that served in the Army. um, And my stepdad served in the Army. So um, they said, you know, join. You can make money on the weekends and run around in the woods. So went ahead and joined the National Guard um, in 1997. And then um, I went to uh, JMU in 2001. And when I first got there, I was uh, actually doing a business school at first. And then just on campus, I saw um, some guys in uh, uniforms and uh, found out that they were in RTC. Uh, So I went back to my commander in the National Guard and asked him, Um, if he thought it'd be good if I joined the ROTC and become an officer because I was enlisted. And he said, honestly, you are a a timid, timid guy, and you don't have this like command presence, but uh, you do have a lot of determination. um, So you could give it a try. And so I ended up joining ROTC at JMU. And then I found out they had the uh, Ranger Group, which was an elite uh, group there with ROTC with more intense training. And I found out some of them were also doing what's called SMP or simultaneous, simultaneous uh, membership program where they were in ROTC and in the National Guard. So I joined that group as well at ROTC. Um, so I guess just joining the military was at first was just uh, what I wanted to do as a little kid and then uh, join the National Guard and then join ROTC and then I became an officer uh, so when I did started at uh, ROTC at JMU, I didn't know what I was getting into. As I said, I was just, you know, uh, enlisted. I was going to become an officer, and I didn't know exactly what that was going to entail. I knew that uh, my officers and the Guard, you know, kind of did their own separate thing from the enlisted, but they gave orders, um, and you kind of followed them. So I was more of a uh, a follower then. I knew it was going to be a, a hard change for me, but uh, overall, uh, it really defined who I was and my experiences, also serving uh, and building competence sort of in myself over time and my ex- overall experience in the military.
1: With the 20th anniversary of 9-11 coming up, we were wondering where you were on September 11th, 2001, and what do you remember about how that day changed you?
0: So September 11th, I was actually at the JMU Ranger house. Um, I just stopped by after uh, morning exercising. And when we saw the towers hit, uh, we were just kind of like in awe of what happened. So uh, we, you know, just watched it throughout the morning. And uh, I called my girlfriend uh, and I remember meeting her over at my uh, apartment that I was running at the time. And just, I remember crying on the couch, like, You know, here I was, I joined the Guard um, during peacetime and I was told, hey, you know, it's not likely we're going to go back to war right now. And then uh, just the thought of having to leave and now uh, go to Iraq um, or, you know, anywhere uh, for war that um, was just kind of scary at the time.
1: I wonder if you can share your experiences serving in Operation Iraqi Freedom and how those experiences impacted you.
0: So My experiences in Iraq, so uh, my first duty station was at uh, Fort Stewart, Georgia. I got there in June of uh, 2004 uh, as an officer, and I found out that my unit was just coming back from NTC out in California, the National Training Center, and they were going to be deploying in January of 2005. So uh, my first assignment to Iraq was, you know, just six months in, getting as an officer and so I remember um, when we first got to uh, Kuwait, uh, and I'd never been there, and most of my unit had already been you know, there in 2003 for the invasion, and uh, my company commander uh, asked me to go out into the desert and look at where our route was going to be going up into Iraq. And so I was like, uh, you have other officers here that have been here before, and you want me to go out <laughs> and see like how we're going to trudge up into Iraq. So um, I actually did it. um, And that was an accomplishment. But so overall, I served two tours in Iraq. Uh, 2005 was one year and then 2007 to 2008 uh, for 15 months. So in 2005, um, we were deployed to LSA and Anaconda and east just above Baghdad. And then I also, we had a, a fleet for logistics element. I was a treatment platoon leader at the time. So we had dental x-ray um, and medics. And so uh, I didn't have any like war or trauma experiences uh, for that deployment. But at near the end of the deployment, I found out that uh, my three-year-old daughter had ex- uh, was in the hospital and then got diabetes. So I had to come back early from that deployment. And then uh, nearly a, literally a year later in 2007, we deployed again uh, to Iraq. And so <clears throat> I remember uh, that, so I had come back from Iraq to almost losing my daughter to diabetes. And then a year later I had uh, to go back to Iraq. And I remember my wife asked me like, why do you want to go back and not stay home? And I said that, you know, what happens if my soldiers get hurt? Uh, so I was dealing with some survivor's guilt um, with losing my dad in 1995 or 1994, excuse me, to a, a, a brain aneurysm. So I had some survivor's guilt, like what happens to them because I couldn't save my dad. So I felt like I needed to go back to Iraq. And so that deployment definitely changed me the 15 months uh, we were in um, Camp Ramadi during the the, sea, the surge And so we had a lot of mass casualties uh, come to our our aid station. I was actually working um, in the aid station, in the OR, um, you know, just seeing uh, children, you know, U.S. soldiers, Iraqis, you know, everybody hurt. um, And also, you know, helping uh, with the morgue. So there's a lot of stuff I saw during that deployment that uh, I never knew I would experience, you know. So when we came home in April of 2008, um, I felt kind of, um, I remember that, so 15 months being away from your family and knowing that they've kind of lived their lives. You don't feel a part of the family when you first come back, so it's like a transition to learn, like, where your place is, Um, and so I just, I struggled for a while, Um, even though I was uh, then accepted into a Master's of Social Work program in San Antonio. And I thought that year break was going to help, but um, it just—it was overwhelmingly hard. So, I it did get. There's just a lot of changes in my life personally from the experiences in Iraq. You know, I would say I didn't get diagnosed with PTSD, but I did learn later uh, that I did experience some survivor's guilt. So now, in
2: 2021, you work with veterans in West Virginia. And so I'm wondering if you can speak to what you've done since serving that has helped with your recovery. And then also more broadly, Terry, how do we reduce stigmas around getting people help with recovery from the traumatic experiences of serving overseas? So uh,
0: since serving, um, I was discharged November uh, 2012. Uh, with the General honorable Discharge, uh, which I have no regrets of now. Um, I was, you know, allowed to voluntarily resign, uh, which helped me then get into the VA in Martinsburg. And in January of 2013, I uh, had experienced uh, a divorce, you know, some alcoholism. Uh, and when I got into the program there at Martinsburg, I uh, just had this uh, ex- spiritual experience. Uh, and I was able to know that people were there for me. Uh, Others that had served in Iraq and uh, other veterans, you know, had some experiences I did and um, that I could do it. I could overcome, you know, alcoholism and recover and live a successful life and be a a productive member of society. So I did what they say, you know, do 90 minutes in 90 days. Well, I did it for six months straight every day, uh, then got uh, plugged into uh, the church choir there I was doing a group called spiritual warriors so it's like a morning bible study so I was doing what they talk about in recovery like you have to work your recovery and uh, it will help you so I just went all in uh, at that point point. Um, and ever since then uh, I'm a member of my church I agree um, every day when I go to work it's like just this gratitude I wake up with every day. And I also just recently got promoted from a peer support specialist, which is somebody that is uh, a peer in recovery that sort of just coaches and walks side by side with veterans uh, at the VA. And that has tremendously um, built my gratitude and also uh, learning just how resilient I am and how others can be resilient by um, just taking uh, every experience that they have And life and their challenges, um, and knowing that they they don't fail, but just take every opportunity as a challenge and see that how they can grow and learn from that. For my recovery, um, like I said, with the VA has just been tremendous. Uh, And I've been able to just see how uh, helping other veterans every day uh, gives me a purpose in life and I can uh, help them see that they have a purpose too. Uh, even, you know, the young ones that are just coming back from Iraq and Afghanistan serving all the way up to the, the 80-year-old veteran, you know, that served back in the Korean War. Even the World War II veterans that I've, you know, see just learn about them and learn how grateful they've been in their lives. And so I think the second question, how do we reduce stigma around getting help? Um, I would say if somebody is your family member, or neighbor, um, just in the community, uh, that, you know, as a veteran, you know, just, um, see how you can help them. You know, they don't always have to talk about their experiences, but just getting to know them, let them know that they're appreciated and cared for. Um, so just, you know, kind of learn who the veterans are in your, in your community, your, your neighborhoods, and just kind of reach out to them and let them know that help is available.
2: I really appreciate your response. Um, and, and the encouragement that you've given our listeners for reaching out to people and connecting, and we're also thinking about ways systems can best support veterans who come home, whether it's through creating spaces on a college campus, for example, where veterans can sort of find each other and, and be together. And I know that, that, that Nick Swain has done a wonderful job of doing that at JMU for a long time.
0: Yeah, there's a community-based community based Outpatient clinic there in Harrisonburg. So, you know, the local members can, you know, even just call them up and see if there's any help they can provide for the veterans or even just learn about the resources that are available in case you do come across a veteran.
1: What do you want the public to appreciate about the United States military response to the September 11, 2001 attacks that are lacking in the mainstream narrative?
0: I think uh, for me, the appreciation for just knowing that people are still serving. And people are still training, you know, and prepping for war. Um, so it's not just about, and also I've noticed recently, so just knowing the difference between Memorial Day and Veterans Day. So Memorial is, you know, mourning the loss and of those who gave their lives for our country, um, you know, in other countries versus Veterans Day, we're celebrating, you know, survivors of war you know, and the, the discounts. And so it's not just like um, a lot of the holidays now. It's, you know, just about, you know, people getting together and, and doing what they do or it's all about the discount So um, just learning more and appreciating the differences in the holidays or what people, knowing that people are still, you know, training for war and are still overseas, as we know. Um, not all of our soldiers are back home yet. just reminding ourselves and, you know, gratitude for that and praying for them, for their safety.
2: So to your point that not everybody is home yet. In June, uh, President Joe Biden announced a U.S. troop withdrawal from Afghanistan by September 11th, 2021, the 20 year anniversary. As we engage in this conversation in July of 2021, Taliban fighters are taking or retaking districts in Afghanistan. There are also ongoing attacks on U.S. facilities and on the U.S.-led coalition in Iraq. As someone who has personally experienced the conflicts firsthand on the ground, what concerns do you have about the future of Afghanistan and Iraq and the Middle East more broadly?
0: So I think uh, personally for me, just the concern is that when we went over and sort of built up uh, the, the countries and tried to um, bring in our values and and help them, uh, that what we we did over there and all the money and resources and the lives lost um, sort of will be forgotten um, once we pull out of those countries that, you know, just be like, um, the the history could be, you know, just forgotten, uh, and those soldiers and their lives, uh, won't matter either anymore. It's like, um, and all of the, I think I heard one of our other, uh, JMU alumni talking about, you know, but they will survive. They'll do what they need to do to continue to, you know, move forward. And I, I do believe that, but, um, that they will, uh, so, I'm not sure what else you know we're going to be able to do you know personally from here, but you know just sort of be there for those people when that does happen, you know, like I said, pray support and know how we can continue to support them from abroad.
2: did you build personal relationships at all with the people that you met in Iraq, locals that you ever think about?
0: Yes, we had two uh, local nationals that and one of them uh, ran a a store there that we had at our aid station. Uh, There was actually two of them and one that used to go out on convoys with us and stuff. um, And another one that I can clearly remember back memories of those guys and things that they had talked about uh, and our presence being there and how much it did help and their concerns. So, yeah, I I think about those two um, every now and then and kind of what they're like today. And actually um, so let me go back. So, actually, both of them are actually living in the United States now. <laughs> so, they did come here after we left.
1: We want to thank you for joining us today. And we know that democracy requires shared sacrifice and gratitude to those who have sacrificed. And we want to thank you personally for the sacrifices you have made. While we recognize the fundamental reality that sacrifice is an unequal burden, what advice do you have for individuals who have not served in the military for how they can contribute to preserving, strengthening, and reimagining democracy?
0: So for people that uh, have not served in the military and can contribute, um, I think it would be just continuing to uh, learn about what America was built on our democracy was built on, um, the Constitution, uh, was built on those values, and just going back and you know rereading them and what they stood for, and also contributing wise. So uh, I believe what I said earlier about what organizations in the community, the Wounded Warrior Project, even donating blood, um, volunteering at your uh, local VA medical center, uh, or even um, with the veteran service offices in your local communities you know, how you can provide to the veterans there, whether it's money, whether it's time, whether it's doing an event in your local area to even recognize um, the veterans presence there in your local communities. Yeah, so just getting involved uh, in those opportunities to serve the veterans and those that are still serving as well. Um, Again, you don't have to be in the military to, you know, serve just like you don't have to work in a hospital to to help your local nurses, you know, or even in the, the healthcare field, it, but as a, just coming together as a community to strengthen one another, um, I think is, you know, contributing.
1: Hi, podcast listeners. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Democracy Matters. Editing and production was done by Jacqueline Dobrin, JMU Civics Communication Specialist. Randy Bednikus, Director of Digital Marketing at JMU, does the syndication for us. Our theme song is Sometimes It Shines by Pictures of the Floating World. Be sure to follow us on social media. You can tweet your questions and ideas to us at JMU Civic, and we'll address them in a future episode. You can also connect and engage with us on Facebook at JMU Civic. Learn more about the James Madison Center for Civic Engagement at James Madison University on our website at j.mu/civic. Until next time.